Welcome to Getting Heated, the place to debate and discuss all things surf-related. Does a two-week quarantine put non-Australian surfers at a disadvantage for the upcoming Australian leg of the tour? And when it comes to scoring waves, should there be former pro surfers on the judging panel? Plus, does the championship tour need a big wave event on the schedule? Finally, we're going deep with big wave world champ Billy Kemper as he shares stories from the new series, Billy. Let's start some heats. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Getting Heated, the place for discussion, debate, and disputes on all things surf-related. I'm Dave Prodan, here for my final episode as moderator for the true stars of the show, Cooling Goddess Mick Fanning and Hawaii's Ross Williams. Guys, thanks so much for joining us today. Good morning, Dave, and we all know that you are the true star in this show. Yeah, Dave, we're going to miss you, mate, but uh, bigger pastures are on the way. <laughs> that sounds ominous. Well, the newly enhanced Australian leg of the tour is fast approaching, which means a two-week quarantine is looming ahead for surfers and staff that still have to fly into the country. And this subject kicks off our opening exchange for Heat One. To prevent the spread of COVID-19, travelers arriving in Australia are required to go into a 14-day quarantine at a government-approved accommodation. No visitors, no going outside your room, no surfing. So here's the heat one question. Are non-Australian CT surfers at an automatic disadvantage for the upcoming Aussie leg by still having to quarantine for two weeks instead of surf and prepare for competition? Ross, what's your take on this? What is, I think, um, an, an advantage for the, all the surfers that are already in Australia is the timing. They're not going to be as rushed or panicked because they're already going to be there. They're going to be there working with their coaches, working with their quiver boards, um, you know, the family, um, everything's going to be set. So they're just going to be smooth sailing right into the contest where everyone that has to quarantine for two weeks, they're going to have nine to 10 days to get ready after they get out of the hotel room. Um, so I feel like they'll just be slightly more panicked and like kind of in a rush to get to their accommodation, get everyone settled. Not to mention Mick, um, they have to hop on the plane and they all have to test negative. Just the whole thing's a little bit panicky and it's the timing. Yeah, look, I'm gonna have to disagree with you, Ross. It's two weeks. You've been surfing your whole life. Two weeks out of the uh, out of your life isn't gonna kill you. Uh, you still get gym equipment. You can still hire whatever you need. Um, it gives the, the body a good rest. Also too, we've seen a few different sporting teams come into Australia over the last few months and um, the Aussies haven't done well. We've lost the cricket to India and we've just seen the Australian Open of tennis go down and the Aussies didn't do well, except for one Dylan Alcott. Uh, but other than that, our Aussies didn't do well in these events. So look, I think played smartly on behalf of all the, the surfers involved in this quarantine. They can go and visualize, they can go and work on their body. They can, uh, you know, just, just have a bit of time off just to do absolutely nothing but concentrate on themselves. So, uh, yeah, I see no disadvantage whatsoever. It's just funny. I, I just think you're going to have some of the younger Groms who are bursting at the seams who are going to just be freaking. And so by the time they get out of their hotel room, Mick, they've watched every single episode on Netflix. They're just going to be peaking. And there, there's a chance that they just kind of overfroth, you know, whereas, again, all the Aussies are already there. They're settled. They're in the routine. They've been totally fine-tuning their equipment. So I'm going to say whoever's there, settled and, and less panicky, a little less stressed, you know, has a small advantage. I think more froth 
more excitement, it's better. Um, you know, I think all, all plane rides, you know, they always take a little bit of edge off. So you, every event you go to, you're like, oh, I've got to get my boards ready. It's just the same thing, and they've got 10 days to do so. So I think they're going to be fine. I don't, I don't see any disadvantage. But you know what is going to be fun? The reality TV show that comes out of this, uh, if all the people around the world start following the surfers because there's going to be some wild old Instagrams for some very bored people. I'm worried about surfing Peter Pan and Kelly Slater. That guy hasn't been caged for more than an hour his entire life. He's going to melt down. When we return, we're taking... (laughs) We're taking a look inside the judges' tower and debating whether or not former pro surfers should be on the panel. Plus some surprising opinions about having a big wave event on the championship tour. We'll be right back. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back to Getting Heated. I'm Dave Prodan, joined today by two legendary surfers with increasingly hotter takes, Ross Williams and Nick Fanning. Guys, are you ready for the next heat? Bring it on. I'm ready, man. Let's go. All right. Based on history, this next topic could break the internet wide open because we're going to be addressing surfing's trigger issue for Heat 2, judging. CT Heats are officiated by an international panel of five scoring judges, a priority judge, and a head judge, scoring waves and ensuring everyone behaves themselves. But the question in the officiating of any sport is how much of the panel should be made up of former professional athletes? So the Heat 2 question is, should there be an emphasis on placing former pro surfers on the CT judging panel? Nick, what are your thoughts? Uh, straight up answer, Dave. I'm going to say no. Uh, a few different reasons. One, surfers are too opinionated uh, and we're too biased on the surfing that we want to see. So, look, I think um, that will just reflect in the scores that get thrown out. The other reason why, have you ever sat in the surfers area when there's a heat going on? We don't know what scores are going on. We're just throwing out whatever we think might happen, but we're you know, there's probably about two or three guys that are actually on the money. We actually have had some other surfers just in recent times, some former CT surfers go on and become judges. Ben Dunn for one and Drew Courtney, they're great judges. Um, But I think for most surfers, they don't have the attention span that is needed in the judging panel. That's funny you say that, Mick, because you're kind of making my point for me. Um, You said maybe two or three that are spot on. And I think that's the 
the percentage for the population, whether you're a pro surfer, ex tour surfer or not. Um, just like any Joe Blow out there that happens to become a, uh, a professional judge on a WCL tour, not everyone's cut out for it. You need to be objective. You, you need to have. You need to be neutral. Um, and it's the same for pro surfers. I don't think everyone that's been on tour is going to be a great judge. Um, far from it. Um, I, but I do think that it could it could help a lot. And the number one trigger word for me that could help from a, a tour surfer on the panel is nuance. Sometimes, and I'm sure you would, whether you admit to it or not, Mick, that nuance um, goes missing. Um, I've actually judged one tour event before on the big wave tour at Jaws. And I was so excited to do it because I was like, maybe, you know, this is a, a, a time where I could maybe show the judges some nuance that maybe or maybe not they'll be missing. And there was definitely a couple waves where we watched it back several times in replay and it made a difference in the score. It was something that they didn't see. And it was just that little bit of experience that sometimes goes missing that they could flip not only a result, but maybe even a heat win, maybe even a world title. So you're just saying you're going on as a judge. <laughs> And no. uh, John John Florence is going to be winning another 20 world titles. <laughs> Look, I think the judges stick to it. <laughs> they should stick to it. And uh, we don't need pro servers coming in. This is coming from someone who's won a few world titles, Mick. I think if we had a few um, pro surfers uh, on the panel, you never know. Maybe that three would have turned a two. You keep putting your resume in, Ross. Get onto it, bro. <laughs> I'm messing with you. <laughs> we have a very special guest joining us in the final segment of the show. But before we bring him in, we have a big wave topic to hit upon first. The CT calendar presents the world's best surfers with a variety of different waves and conditions, ensuring the world champion is the best all-around surfer in any given season. However, can this schedule be improved even further? For Heat 3, we're asking the question. Should there be a legitimate big wave event on the championship tour? Ross, I'm sure John John's got a Paisel Padillac ready to go. What are your thoughts? <laughs> He's got a few of them. Um, this is this is definitely a tricky uh, question because obviously I'm sure Mick will bring up all the logistics. It's going to be a nightmare. It's not easy to run these big wave events. You, you need a lot of time. You need a huge window. Um, and, and you need to get the whole crew there set up in advance, which is usually doesn't lend a hand to nailing perfect conditions. But this is where um, I think we could get it done, Mick. If you just move it down a notch, it doesn't have to be 30 foot Waimea, it doesn't have to be 60 foot Jaws. Um, examples are medium large Tavarua. I think Tavarua is probably the place for it. Um, maybe a, a, a moving window where you give all the surfers on tour a two month notice. I'm just thinking medium big waves added to the list would definitely make a huge difference in, in sort of having a proud world champion that, you know, truly good in two foot slop and 15 to 18 foot waves would improve the tour. So you're saying a medium big wave event. Um, yeah, look, it's sort of, I just said logistics is out of control. Still scary. <laughs> Um, logistics is, is hard. I think, um, you know, you got to wait for the perfect swells and all this and, and it's just, it just doesn't come together. I think we've, we've had events where, um, big waves have come in the window and, you know, I guess we go back to uh, cloud break. We were so underprepared. We didn't know what was going on, but some guys went out there and put on incredible performances. Some guys did not want to go out. Uh, 
you know, for, for us, when they called off the event for the day, uh, it was like half a day left. We were all scrambling and asking the big wave guys for for boards and stuff like that. I borrowed one of Kalara Alexander's boards and paddled out in just a pair of board shorts. I looked around and all the best wave guys were in vests and all that. I felt like I was so out of my league. But if the waves show up, guys need to be prepared. There are going to be events where the big waves come, but look, to, to just put one specific event of like, well, this is a big wave event, I don't think we're ever going to get a run. Here's the thing, Mick, uh, the, the counter argument to that is we've done it already. We've done it in the past many times and it's just something we get used to. So a perfect example um, is Chopu and Tahiti. You know, in the early 90s, no one surfed there. They thought it was just this unrideable slab that only some bodyboarders would go to. It's scary, it's big, it tests a whole different skill set from what the tour was like in the 80s and 90s, which was just four waves to the beach, just tic-tacking in two-foot mush. Um, the tour has slowly evolved into what it is now, which is in bigger, high-quality waves. And I just think that's the one missing link. Guys like MR, Kelly, Andy Irons, all these guys, there's so many guys that, that sort of covered that whole gamut of ripping in big waves and two-foot waves. And to me, that would just, it would really put a, a booster on, uh, on the tour. Should we just add another spot to the Portugal event? Just throw Nazare in there. Really freak him out. <laughs> me and you, me and you can watch that one. <laughs> You'll be on the judging panel. <laughs> <laughs>
I think the main person last year when our tour was taken away from us. I truly believe to crown a world champion, you need to surf multiple venues against, you know, competitors from around the world to be able to consider yourself a world champion. But also, you know, looking at venues and events like the Piahi Challenge and the, the Eddy, those events are so prestigious that they, they hold so much power. You know, a win at either of those locations is truly comparable to winning a world title so you know you have two different outlooks on this but for me i would love to you know i would love to see more world champions crowned and more events added to the big wave world tour yeah i'm with you there billy i think that you need a tour to crown a world champion i couldn't agree more i think for a world champ it's sort of a different animal isn't it because when you have that frequency you need to collect ratings and then that's like going to clarify world champion as, as you said and then on the opposing side, something like the Eddie Aikau, where um, maybe it doesn't run for 10 years, which is really a bummer for everyone, including the surfers. But that also kind of adds to the mystique and how tough it is to win that. I mean, um, how high is it on your goal list to win the Eddie? The Eddie's above everything for me. The last thing my brother actually had told me in our one of our last conversations was like, I'm going to be the first person ever from Maui to win the Eddie. I think up until that point, not even a Maui boy had been invited. So that has been, you know, running through my mind since I was eight years old. And the day I got my first invitation was one of the most special days of my life. So that one is at the top of the priority list and something that I will never give up on until I get it. I guess that answers a question that we had the other week. Would you go to Jaws or do the Eddie? <laughs> so it sounds like you're going to do the Eddie. Without a doubt, you know, that event, the Eddie Aikau to me is the most prestigious monumental event in surfing. There's nothing that you can compare it to. The day that event runs and I'm on the invite list, there's nothing in the world that I will that I will be doing aside from competing there with um, with every bit of hard work that I've put into trying to winning that event. So, Billy, a few episodes ago, we had sort of a, a fun, heated episode uh, with an infamous um, session on the outer reefs at Oahu where everyone got cleaned up and there were some skis launching in the air. It was just absolute mayhem. Really fun to watch, but obviously it was super dangerous. I wanted to get your take on that whole issue in terms of safety because there is you know, a low percentage of guys that are getting out to line up that are sort of endangering everyone else. I thought paddling surfing kind of solved it because you know, when I was growing up, it became more crowded than like our local, like, you know, Hokipa. It was ridiculous. It was just getting overpopulated with people who haven't put in the time and not necessarily didn't really deserve to be out there. That being said, you know, you fast forward 10 years down the line and we're dealing with a bigger problem. It breaks my heart to see how many people paddle out there without organized safety. All these guys paddle out to Jaws because they have an inflatable wetsuit and they see jet skis out there and they assume that they're gonna get picked up. Yeah, it's pretty heavy. I guess people don't understand that you guys are putting in all that effort into just your safety. Would you, like talking about a wipeout at yours, can you explain to the people what it feels like to just go over the falls and just get totally annihilated? Like, can you take us through a bit of that run? Oh, I mean, everywhere has their unique twist of their beatdown, but Jaws is like, it's the big pit bull. There's nowhere in the world that beats you as violent as Jaws. You know, I don't care who you are, or where you are. 
pound for pound, you know, that wave is the pinnacle of big wave surfing. The bigger it gets, the hollower it gets. And when you talk about a bad fall and a beatdown, there's nowhere as bad as Jaws. Yeah, Billy, one thing I, I really admire about you is your tenacity, your work ethic. I, I feel like it's pretty much second to none. You're just an animal. I wanted to ask you, Billy, where do you think you get that tenacity? Is it any one thing in your childhood or, or where do you attribute that to? For sure. I mean, you as you know me fairly well, uh, Ross, I've I've had quite a bit of losses growing up. My idol, who is my older brother, and at, when, at the time that I lost him, he was at the forefront of surfing. There was no competition between us. It was all just straight up looking up to him. Like he was, he was everything I wanted to be. And whether it was, you know, riding a dirt bike, you know, spearfishing, surfing, or fighting on the beach, it was all just fifth gear wide open and just, you know, guns blazing. And what he left with me was was that mindset and that, that willing to just fight through anything and never give up. You know, it's I've learned that definitely, you know, the harder, the more work I put in, the more confidence I have mentally. And, you know, when you're mentally that strong, you just, there's no holding back. Powerful stuff, uh, yeah, it's inspiring. I guess that sort of brings me to my next question, all that tenacity and, and that drive is you had an incredibly painful, life-threatening injury. What were the three pillars or the, the three lights at the end of the tunnel that got you through this period and got you back to the place where you love and, and surfing where that's yours? You know, being stuck on that, you know, those hospital beds down in Morocco, like the trauma and the pain that I was in is just truly undescribable. There's nothing more crippling than that feeling of having a broken pelvis and your body just bleeding out internally. And what got me through all that, honestly, was the road that I had been through, through my upbringing, you know, the loss of my brother. And, and then you go into my later years of losing, you know, a couple of my best friends to drugs. And then, you know, the recent years of my mom's, you know, loss to cancer. You know, I can use all these, all these losses and all these wins to get through these moments that, you know, are going to feel like are trying to break me. Well, Billy, we really appreciate you jumping in with us today. Your new docu-series, Billy, is absolutely excellent, and everyone can watch it now at WorldSurfLeague.com. Thanks again for joining us today. Yeah, Billy. Thank you, Billy. Too easy. Thank you, guys. So that's it for today's episode, and that's it for me on camera, mercifully. I appreciate everyone having me on as the interim moderator. Time to say goodbye, but Getting Heated will return next week with a brand new host. Dave, thanks for everything, but uh, good luck on the Big Wave Surfing Tour. I know you're going to kill it, mate. Uh, do we have any hints on who we're going to have next? I believe we have a silhouette, and no, that's not Owen Wright's hair. That's actually a female. I'm going to give you one hit, Mick. She comes from Surfing Royalty. Excited. Can't wait to see. Tune well, in. Tune next in. So, Dave, you're done, man. Yeah, thanks, Bye everybody. <laughs>